if we're talking about great singers, there are some names pretty much everyone can agree on. What you want, baby, I got. Well, since my baby left me, will I find a new place to dwell? Aretha, Elvis, Whitney, no last names needed here. They were all included in Rolling Stone magazine's online list of the 200 greatest singers released earlier this week. But of the 197 remaining names, one was noticeably absent. Celine Dion did not make the list, and the people we're not amused. A crime against humanity goes one over the top reaction. What in the world happened when you think of Celine Dion and, and her magical voice and all that she's done around the world? It's like, wait a minute, you really missed out on this name? There's 200 singers. I cannot believe that out of 200, Celine Dion's not on this. I agree with you there. Protesters even gathered outside of Rolling Stone's New York offices, singing and waving signs, demanding justice for Celine. <laughs> And people were heated over other omissions, inclusions, and rankings, fueling passionate discussions and clicks. This list has, up to this point, almost 200 million page views. And that's 200 million people who have their own special connection with certain singers. And they are going to have strong opinions. And that's what makes, I think, this great. It's such a vast topic. John Dolan is the reviews editor for Rolling Stone. He spearheaded the creation of the list, wrangling the contributors, engaging in the debates, trying to map out the criteria for how they would even define greatest. It's not just the great voices list. It's the great singers list. It's, you know, it's what did you do with what you were given? And and another factor was, you know, originality and not novelty, but originality. And I think, to you know, you're just all you're doing when you sing is opening your mouth and to do that and, and do something different, you know, to change a genre to offer some perspective that no one had had thought of. Riling up the masses, Dolan says, was not the point. It's not there to cause controversy. It's not there to exclude anybody. It's there to be like a celebration. But when it comes to lists, someone or something will always be excluded. And in a ranked list, it is impossible to get everyone to agree on the order. Consider this. We're constantly bombarded with critics' picks for best films of the year, best albums of the year, best podcasts. So many lists, especially during that transition point between years. We love to hate them. We almost always click on them. But can a list be more than just clickbait? The ultimate purpose of a list like this is to initiate conversations like this one, where we're all talking and arguing about Rolling Stone, right? That's coming up. From NPR, I'm Andrew Limbong. It's Saturday, January 7th. I was kind of shocked to not see Celine Dion there because it just seems crazy to me when you look at some of the people they did include. I mean, I think it's clear that Celine Dion is one of the 200 best singers uh, the, the the world knows. And, and you know, it's, it kind of opens up a lot of conversations about what kind of standards were put in place in, in, in terms of what the list makers considered. 
Aisha Harris and Stephen Thompson host NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour and have contributed to, commented on, or even created their fair share of lists. And they have a lot to say about Rolling Stone's new list and lists in general. One of the, the nice things about these lists, and we're seeing now more and more as the years go on, is that the people creating these lists are broadening their horizons and including people who would not typically have been considered in years past. Um, and some would argue that that's like woke posturing. Uh, I think it's just expanding and making our cultural canons more um interesting and more exciting and not feel all stuffy and repetitive. So I, I, I like that the Rolling Stone list included a lot of international artists I'd never even heard of. So it made me actually want to go and check them out. And I think that's another benefit of these lists when they're done well, or at least thoughtfully, is that you're not just arguing about who was left off, but maybe you're turned on to something you wouldn't have been turned on to before. Yeah, like 30 years ago, there would not have been like a K-pop star on their list, right? Right, right. Or Celia Cruz, who I think made their top 20. Like, it's very doubtful that she would have made it on there 20 years ago. Yeah. When when you guys make lists, right, what are you thinking of, like, editorially? What do you guys, like, talk, you know, when you're doing the TMZ sort of style of, like, what are we doing this year? (laughs) Like, what kind of discussions are you guys having? Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that I don't know, Pop Culture Happy Hour, at least, doesn't really necessarily go down this particular rabbit hole too often. Uh-huh. We're often more kind of approaching these things anecdotally, talking about the stuff that really, really matters to us instead of kind of trying to uh, collect a consensus around ranking the best. Though at NPR, we we have, you know, I'm part of NPR Music. NPR Music has been doing this series called Turning the Tables that's kind of tried to re-envision the musical canon through the lens of the contributions of women. Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of speaks to a larger movement around putting these lists together, which is kind of trying to reframe the the collective received wisdom of what the greatest things of all time are, and then kind of trying to look at what has gotten short shrift and what deserves more attention. And I think that's where these lists, kind of like Aisha said, these can be hugely valuable if they're giving the readers of that list an opportunity to go down rabbit holes and discover new things that they would love if only they'd encountered them. Right. I mean, I, several years ago when I was at Slate Magazine, put together the Black Film Canon alongside my colleague at the time, uh, Dan Coyce. And the purpose of that canon, our our creation of that quote-unquote canon, was to emphasize that Black filmmaking had come a long way and that also it had always existed and it deserved to be celebrated. And so we chose 50 films. We didn't actually rank them, but we collected 50 films. We interviewed and spoke with different filmmakers and critics and had them include their picks. And it was a great way to both like celebrate the obvious choices, like Do the Right Thing, uh, you know, or Boys in the Hood, but also highlight other films that people might not have heard mm-hmm. of, like Tookie Bookie or um, Losing Ground. So I think what I love about those kinds of lists, I like it when we can create things that um, hopefully generate conversation and also are just different or feel new or or introduce people to new things. You guys both actually brought up ranking, um, which I know... I don't like, and I think like NPR is generally like allergic to, right? And I'm curious, what about putting a number to things makes it feel 
squiggy. I, I, you know, it's very uh, – the most common word that is used to describe this sort of list is clickbait, right? Uh, a lot of people like mm-hmm. to dismiss these things as, you know, you're just using this to get clicks. You're just using this to, like, start a big argument that you can be at the center of. And I think a ranking really ties into that idea. If your favorite singer is ranked number six and your least favorite singer is ranked at number four, <laughs> you will have uh, a, a big grand statement. Statement to make about it instead of just kind of looking over a list of conventional wisdom and saying, okay, these this looks more or less like the canon to me. Putting things in a ranking will often create these little sub-arguments within taking in these lists. The other thing is like ostensibly we're talking about art, right? And we don't like to, or at least a lot of critics like myself don't like to put a number to that like we already have enough hard enough time trying to wrestle with the fact that art and commerce go hand in hand like you you just can't discount the fact that capitalism plays a role in art and how we make it and how we consume it and i think when you're ranking things that kind of adds another layer of like <sighs> taking away from the art itself and 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 trying to assign a specific meaning to this art that it's hard to codify because it's art. And also it's like, these are things, especially when it comes to music and, and movies, these are things that are collaborative experiences. It's not just one person making it. So how do you, how do you measure uh, something that may be uh, aesthetically grandiose in some ways versus something that's quieter and like try to put those up against each other? It's like, it's really hard and it, it doesn't really make sense. Coming up. The canon needs to expand because as time goes on, more art is created. When we return. I think we keep saying this, but if there's any benefit to these lists, it is that hope or that 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 possibility of discovery. Aisha Harris and Stephen Thompson of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour know that the definition of what makes art and artists great can change over time. And I asked them how new art changes and challenges the notion of the canon. Obviously, you know, there are things that you want to keep in rotation if you are studying things in school or, or if you're if whatever your your medium is or your your expertise is, there's going to be the classics, there's going to be the Shakespeare's, you're going to have the Citizen Kane's like those are the things you must see. But you have to account for the fact that there are going to be other films that have been made after that might be better or might might be worth putting alongside. And I think Part of the issue that I, I find when people like to criticize these lists for being, um, you know, pandering to progressive sensibilities is that just because now Toni Morrison is considered canon, that doesn't mean that Shakespeare is no longer considered canon. It just means they both live alongside each other. Right. Um, and I think that's great. We should be celebrating that and we should be happy that we should be happy that all of these things that are being created can be considered alongside each other. Yeah, I think the way these lists evolve tells us a lot about not only history, but how we are reacting to history in real time. And I, you know, I I love to see the canon shift where you're releasing, a, like Sight and Sound has this, this poll of the great Greatest movies mm-hmm. of all time. And all of a sudden, a movie most people have never heard of is number one instead of Vertigo or Citizen Kane. Like, that's really interesting to pick apart why. 
And and so so as much as it's really easy to kind of dismiss these lists as clickbait or as fodder for arguments, they do have a lot to say, not only about what people should be trying to discover, but about the way we kind of process. I, I love I love the fact that there is not this fixed canon. This is the only best movie that's ever been made and nothing can ever be better. Like, no, it's constantly shifting. Yeah, Aisha, I was actually going to ask about the, the sight and sound um, list, which is, you know, they poll like critics, right? They poll a bunch of... Yeah, every 10 years uh, for the last few decades they've been they've been doing this yeah yeah and so were there any like notable movers and shakers for, from this list <laughs> were there now <laughs> uh so so St- steven already kind of hinted at it but the number one film that replaced it was jean dielman by Chantal ackerman uh, according to paul schrader the great filmmaker he called it a quote landmark of distorted woke reappraisal so you know i i admire his filmmaking but he is sometimes the equivalent of man yells at angry cloud like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's very annoying uh <laughs> but but, um, you know, also the list included movies that have been made in the last few years, like since the last poll was created. So mm-hmm. you have Moonlight, Get Out, um, and all of these like Portrait of a Lady, Portrait on, fire, of a lady right? on Fire. Yeah. And, you know, obviously some could say this is recency bias, but at the same time, these are films that have been making other best of lifts of the last few years. So that's not that surprising. And I think also, again, this is a list that is made every 10 years. There will be another one, most likely in 10 years. And so it'll shift again. And I think that it's really exciting. There were a ton of movies on that list that I have either been dragging my feet on, haven't watched yet, or hadn't even heard of. And so I'm excited to dig into those and and be able to sort of expand my interest. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to think that they deserve to be on that list, but at least it's piqued my curiosity. So let's wreck the concept of a list. Thumbs up or thumbs down? <laughs> yeah, you know. What are we doing? <laughs> you know, I'm, I think I'm like, can I put my thumb in the middle like it's, it's <laughs> yeah, sure. when, when, when done well, when done well and thoughtfully and with a little bit of invention, I'm all for it. But we, some of these lists, we don't we don't we don't need them. <laughs> we don't we don't need to keep like reimagining them. I think we can leave them behind. Yeah. So what you're saying is you want like a list of the best of lists. Yeah, actually, I, I would read that. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's a word that gets applied a lot when when people like Aisha and I talk about our jobs, and that word is curator, right? Like, our job mm-hmm. is to provide kind of a guide for people who look at this just massive fire hose of content. And and people look, and there are, you know, hundreds of movies are released every year, thousands of albums are released every year, hundreds of TV shows come out every year, and how do... You know, how do people who want to consume that content know what to try, know what, you know, what to pursue, what to give their one wild and precious life over to for for (laughs) however many minutes? And I think that lists like these can provide a real curatorial help for people. And in that way, I probably tip my thumb in in the upward direction, even as they can be extraordinarily frustrating. They can be, they're frustratingly reductive. They, they some Sometimes perpetuate things that don't need to be perpetuated. But on balance, I think anything that gives people a guide, anything that points people in useful directions when they're trying to consume art, I think can be a good thing. That was Stephen Thompson and Aisha Harris, hosts of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. 